This is Anchored in Christ, the sermon podcast that gives you hope in the gospel as an anchor for your soul. Brought to you from Old South Presbyterian Church in Newburyport, Massachusetts. Our second reading of scripture is taken from Luke chapter 19, verses 1 through 10. And I'd encourage you to follow along in the Pew Bible or whatever Bible you brought with you as we read these, this text. Luke says, Jesus entered Jericho and was passing through it. A man was there named Zacchaeus. He was a chief tax collector and was rich. He was trying to see who Jesus was, but on account of the crowd, he could not because he was short in stature. So he ran ahead and climbed a sycamore tree to see him because he was going to be passing that way. When Jesus came to the place, he looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus, hurry and come down, for I must stay at your house today. So he hurried down and was happy to welcome him. All who saw it began to grumble and said, He has gone to be the guest of one who is a sinner. Zacchaeus stood there and said to the Lord, Look, half of my possessions, Lord, I will give to the poor, and if I have defrauded anyone of anything, I will pay back four times as much. Then Jesus said to him, Today salvation has come to this house, because he too is a son of Abraham. For the Son of Man came to seek out and to save the lost. May the Lord add his blessing to this reading of his word. Let's bow for prayer. Gracious God, we are so grateful that you have gathered us. God, we are so grateful that you have gathered us here together this morning. Uh, We know we're not here by accident because you have drawn us to be here. And so we ask that as we are gathered here today that you would speak into our lives and into our hearts. And we pray for your blessing to be upon us. And we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. As you know, during the last few weeks, Pastor Sarah has been focusing on conversations Jesus had with various individuals and the positive difference those conversations have made in the lives of the people that he has encountered. And Sarah, through the scripture and through preaching every week, has reminded us that every time Jesus encountered someone... He changed their lives in some way for the better. I read an interesting article in Reader's Digest uh, a while back titled, How Not to Lose Things. I thought, this is, a, this is a, an article I should read. The article describes how easy it is for people to lose just about everything. I mean, just about everything. Not only small things, but also important things. Uh, One time a reporter was poking around in Grand Central and Penn Station in New York City, and he found all kinds of things that people had lost. They had lost a thousand keys, 500 pairs of glasses, 300 umbrellas, a half a dozen dentures. (laughs) I'm guessing someone was probably missing those. 
but a number of other assorted items had also been lost, including a duck, maybe it was a pet duck, I don't know, a chihuahua, a wedding gown, an artificial leg, and a burial egg, and a burial urn with the ashes still in it. And he said in this article that every year people lose stuff like this all the time, and much of it is never claimed by anyone. Of course, not only things get lost, but people do as well. Years ago when I was in college, I got lost with a group of other people while we were hiking in the rainforest on the Olympic Peninsula in Washington State. If you've ever been there, it's a, it's a beautiful place. It's an actual rainforest. And um, the, it's very beautiful, but it's also very remote. And the trail that we were hiking on in the rainforest was not very well marked. And the person who really knew the trail was the guy who was leading this hike, who was out in front. And uh, as so often happens, there was a bunch of us in this, on this, a bunch of us in this, on this hike. And as so often happens, not everybody walks at the same pace, right? So the guy who set the pace, who was out in front, was walking quite quickly. The people right behind him were walking right quickly behind him. But about halfway back, they start, some people started to straggle a little bit, and they lost sight of the people in front. You don't have a very good trail. You're not sure where you're going. They get off. They think everyone's behind them. The leader thought everyone was behind him. They weren't. And I was the guy who had to bring up the very back. I'll never do it again. Not the back, back guy. Because the problem was is I was going at a good clip, but the people in front of me weren't. And we got hopelessly lost in the rainforest. Now, it wouldn't have been the end of the world. We would have just had to stay there during the night, and someone would have found us eventually. And eventually they did find us. This guy came back. But um, lost stories, right? Uh, I'm sure you have heard the story of the airline pilot who addressed his passengers over the plane's intercom, telling them that he had somehow lost his way. He had, for some reason, no idea where they were. It's hard to believe, but he didn't. He didn't know where they were. But he knew that they weren't where they should be. He explained, to the he explained that the computers and the tracking systems somehow were not working, but he added, you will be glad to know that even though we're lost, we're making excellent time. <laughs> excellent time. We just don't know where we're going. In our scripture lesson this morning, Luke describes a conversation with a man who, from all indications, was also lost. Not where he needed to be, but making excellent time. Luke tells us that, but making excellent time. Luke tells us that Zacchaeus was a tax collector living in a city called Jericho. Jericho, where Zacharias lived, uh, was a well-known and prosperous community during those days. It was right in the middle of a very important trade route. And Zacchaeus was a tax collector, but not only a tax collector, the text tells us, but he was a chief tax collector, meaning he was probably the head of a group of tax collectors in that Jericho area. And as you may recall, Palestine, where Zacharias lived, was ruled by whom? Rome, by the Romans, right? Tax collectors were local people, Jews, who were hired by the Romans 
to collect taxes from their fellow citizens. The Romans would assess a region or an area as to how much taxes were, were uh, owed. And as long as the tax collector collected enough taxes to pay Rome their share, he could keep whatever was left over, he, whatever he could swindle people out of. And in those days, most people had no idea how many taxes they, they owed. I'm not sure we're all that much different today a lot of times, but they had no idea how many taxes they owed. So a guy like Zacchaeus, if he wanted to, could charge any amount and maybe get away with it. And that tended to make him, as a chief, collect, chief, uh, chief tax collector, very wealthy. Very wealthy indeed. But also very lonely and isolated, as you can imagine. The very thing that made him wealthy was the very thing that isolated him from his fellow Jews and just about everybody else. Now, because tax collectors tended to abuse the taxes by just about everyone, equal opportunity hate. They just hated them. And to make matters worse, tax collectors were considered to be unclean because they were working for the Gentiles, the Romans. So no one really wanted anything to do with them. Now, even though he was a wealthy man, the text here that we read a moment ago indicates that Zacchaeus probably was lost and lonely in some way. A man who probably had very little social life and even fewer friends. Luke tells us that when Zacharias, Zacharias, uh, Zacharias heard that Jesus was passing through town, he decided that he wanted to get a glimpse of Jesus. Luke does not tell us exactly what motivated Zacchaeus to want to see Jesus, but I suspect it could be very well. But I suspect it could be very well that Zacchaeus had heard that Jesus was a person who loved and befriended people like him. People like him who are often shunned and despised and rejected. Luke tells us that because Zacchaeus was a short man, he was unable to get a good glimpse of Jesus by simply standing by the side of the road. Normally he would have just stood there, Jesus would have passed by like you do in a parade, and you would have you know, seen him, but... There was such a large crowd there, Luke says, that Zacchaeus, being a shorter guy, couldn't see him, so he became very resourceful and decided what he would do is climb up in a sycamore tree. Now, sycamore trees are kind of like oak. They're smaller, but they're very strong, very sturdy, so a person can get into them. And most, most likely, Zacchaeus didn't want anyone to see him up in the tree, I'm guessing. After all, he would have looked a little ridiculous. You know, if you were up there, he's probably thinking, well, I'll get up in the tree, I'll get a, clip, a quick glimpse of Jesus as he goes by, I'll get down before anybody even knows I've been up there. But Luke tells us in verse 5 that when Jesus saw Zacchaeus, he stopped and he said, Zacchaeus, hurry up and come down, for I want to stay at your house today. Now, Luke does not tell us whether Jesus had met Zacchaeus before or not, but you can imagine how Zacchaeus must have felt when Jesus singled him out. He's thinking, my house? Jesus wants to come to my house? He's, he's got to be kidding. He doesn't know who I am. 
He would never want to come to my house. I'm sure he had no expectation actually talking to or interacting with Jesus. Just a quick glimpse. And And yet here is Jesus calling Zacchaeus to himself. Jesus was talking to him, but he probably couldn't believe it. So he quickly stumbles down the sycamore tree, and as he gets to Jesus, some in the crowd begin to grumble and complain, and they start to say, doesn't Jesus know that Zacchaeus is a tax collector? A despicable tax collector, a sinner, a slimeball. We don't associate with people like that. We have dealings with them, but we don't associate with them. We certainly don't call them to our, over to our house. Luke indicates that this very brief encounter, this very brief conversation with Zacchaeus is such a significant event for Zacchaeus that it changes his life right then and there. Zacchaeus is so transformed by Jesus' willingness to stay at his house. Seems like a simple thing. That Luke tells us he confesses all of his wrongdoings to Jesus. And he says that if he has defrauded anyone of anything during his time as a tax collector, which most likely he had, he would restore it not one or two or threefold, but fourfold. He also says that he will give half of his possessions to the poor. In response to all this, Jesus in verse 9 says to Zacchaeus, Today salvation has come. To this house. Now, what do we learn from the story of Zacchaeus? Well, there are a number of things we could point out but that we don't have time today, but let me mention two things that stood out to me as I was working with this text this week. I think Zacchaeus, his story reminds us that Jesus is always reaching out and calling people to himself. Jesus is always looking to befriend us and to stay with us. I all of a sudden sound louder. Am I, okay? Am I okay to everybody? Yet so often we are not looking nearly as hard for him as he is for us. Instead we tend to look for God in all the wrong places. As I was working on this sermon this week, um, the song that came to mind, I, my mind works this way. Just a random song will pop in. And I, I thought of the country song, Looking for Love in All the Wrong Places. It's a song by country and western singer Johnny Lee. Anybody remember Johnny Lee? A few of you do. I didn't remember him, but uh, this is the chorus to the song. Because I was looking for love in all the wrong places. In all the wrong places. Looking for love in too many faces. Searching their eyes. Looking for traces of what I'm dreaming of, hoping to find a friend and a lover. I'll bless the day I discover another heart looking for love. It seems to me that this was what Zacchaeus was doing before he found Jesus, or more accurately, before Jesus found him. He was looking for love looking for acceptance, looking for friends, looking for meaning and purpose in his life in all the wrong places. And it occurs to me that so many of us today, too, are looking for love, we're looking for God in all the wrong places, in all the wrong things. 
But what Zacchaeus discovered is that the only one who can really deep, deep longings of our hearts, the one, only one who can really locate us or rescue us when we are lost, is Jesus. Not money or power or status or possessions, not that those things are bad, but those are not the things that can really make an eternal difference. Jesus is the one who took the initiative to find Zacchaeus, and he is always taking the initiative to find us, you and me. And all we need to do is be ready and open to being found. The second thing we learn from the story of Zacchaeus is simply this. Jesus was and still is a friend of outcasts, undesirables, and people that no one else wants anything to do with. Jesus is always willing and ready to forgive people, even the worst of sinners, and give them a new start, a new life, new direction, and give them a new start, a new life, new direction, a new sense of meaning and purpose. I, hear, I used to hear all the time from people who would say, God could never love me. If God knew what I'd done, he could never love me. He would never want anything to do with me. But that's not what the scripture says. That's not what the scripture says at all. Not only does he know everything we've done, but he loves us still. And he's always reaching out to us. Zacchaeus, for all his wealth and position, was in reality a lost soul needing someone. And that someone was Jesus. When Jesus says in verse 10 that he came to seek out and to save the lost, he is saying that he came to seek and to save those like Zacchaeus who are in the wrong place. That's what this word lost literally means in this text, to be in the wrong place. G.K. who was often in the wrong place. He had difficulty keeping his date straight and he could never remember uh, the schedule of his lecture tour. He frequently got lost getting from one place to another. And probably the most famous incident of his being in the wrong place was the telegram he sent to his wife one time. This was before cell phones. He sent a telegram. And the telegram simply said this. I am in Market Harborough, some market somewhere. Where should I be? <laughs> and his wife sent him a reply that said, you should be home. <laughs> now here's the deal. Even though she knew he wasn't supposed to be home, she explained later that she realized it was easier to get him home and start him off again in the right direction than to tell him how to get to where he ought to be from where he was. And so it was with Zacchaeus. And so it was with Zacchaeus, and I think so it is with us. Zacchaeus was a person who for whatever, whatever reason was just in the wrong place in his life, emotionally, morally, spiritually, in many ways. And what he needed more than anything else was to let himself be found so he could come home to Jesus. Or maybe more accurately, let Jesus come home to him so we could start all over in the right direction. Not too long ago, I was in a bookstore, which I tend to do. I try not to pass a bookstore when I don't have to. And I picked up, I saw on the shelf, and I picked up a used biography of John Newton. And it was the $30 book you get for $3 or something. Such a great deal. 
And Newton, as you probably know, was a person who was also lost and then found. I'm sure you know his story. It's a familiar one. It's been told many times. But you will remember that when Newton was young, he was a wild and rebellious man. And after serving on ships for a number of years and working for a period of time on the islands and mainland of West Africa, catching slaves, people to sell as slaves, he eventually became captain of his own slave ship. Needless to say, capturing and transporting and selling people as slaves was a cruel and violent way of life for everyone involved and certainly especially for the slaves. But on March 10th, 1748, not, not too long before, not too much before this church was founded, I was thinking about this, uh, not, not too much before this church was founded, while Newton was returning to England from Africa, high seas was so violent and so strong that Newton feared for his ship and he feared for all of the lives on his ship that they would be lost. And it was really at this time that Newton began to reevaluate his life and began reading the book by Thomas Akempis, Imitation of Christ. And as it turned out, God used that book and his frightening experience at sea to move him in the direction of Christ. And eventually he became a follower of Christ. For the next several years, Newton continued as a slave ship captain but he worked hard to improve the conditions on his ship. But eventually, as Jesus continued to work in his life, he felt so convicted by the cruelty and injustice of slavery that he became a strong advocate for abolishing it. And he went, but he wrote a number of hymns, as you know, including the hymn that is still the most well-known and beloved hymn in America and probably in many places in the world, and you know the hymn, Amazing Grace, how sweet the sound who saved a wretch like me, like me. I once was lost, but now I'm found. Let's say the rest of it. Was blind, but now I see. I heard on the news the other day, we were just one of the stations, uh, that it was Amazing Grace, this hymn, Amazing Grace, that President Obama sang at the funeral service for Clementa Pickney, one of the nine people who was murdered by a white supremacist at the Emanuel AME Church in, South, in Charleston, South Carolina in 2015. Remember that? Debbie and I had just been at that church two or three months Carolina in 2015. Remember that? Debbie and I had just been at that church two or three months before. Um, and then about three months later, this, this shooting happened. For a number of reasons, Obama's AIDS, AIDS had discouraged him from singing Amazing Grace. He was thinking he might do it, but he wasn't sure. And they were saying, no, I don't think it's a very good idea uh, just to break out in song in the middle of your eulogy. But when he started doing his eulogy for this, in this service, he was so moved uh, by the grace that was being shown there, by God's amazing grace, that he just couldn't refrain himself, and he began to sing Amazing Grace. It's very interesting to watch. Everybody there starts singing with him, you know, because everybody knew the hymn. And it's probably one of the most memorable parts of his presidency, I've, I've read, interestingly enough. On his tombstone, 
Newton had this inscription written. He said this. He said this. John Newton, clerk, once an infidel and libertine, a servant of slaves in Africa, was, by the rich mercy of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, preserved, restored, redeemed, and appointed to preach the faith he had long labored to destroy. Quite, a, quite an inscription on his, on his tomb, on his grave. You see, Zacchaeus was a person who, by all accounts, was lost. John Newton was a person who was lost. You and I are people who are lost in the wrong place until we find Jesus. Or more accurately, until Jesus, by his grace, finds us and brings us home. There may be some of you here this morning who are feeling a, a bit like Zacchaeus in your life. Way, maybe feeling a little bit displaced emotionally or morally or spiritually or in some way. That feeling that something is not quite right. That something is missing. If so, it could be that something you are missing is Jesus. Jesus is the only one who can do for you and for me what he did for Zacchaeus and John Newton and so many others. The only one who can preserve and restore and redeem us. Let's bow for prayer. Lord, as we are gathered here today, we are reminded of our own sinfulness. It's not something that we like to think about or talk about. We might not even want to label um, our actions that way. But the truth is that way. But the truth is we know that we are not only live in a fallen world, but are fallen people. That's the bad news. The good news is that you, by your grace, love us and are always reaching out to us, always calling us by name as you did with Zacchaeus, always inviting us uh, and coming to us and wanting to make your home in us. And so, Lord, we come to you today asking that you would help us open up our hearts even a, a little bit more to you, to heed your call, to accept your invocation, your invitation to come. And we are just so grateful that it is by your grace. It's not by anything we do, but just one for us. What a great gift. And we hear about it often, and sometimes it becomes old hat to us, but we pray that you would just help us to hear it anew, how you are at work and want to be in work in us. And so, Lord, uh, as we are gathered here today, we pray for the many needs, needs that are listed in the bulletin. We pray especially that you'd be with Sarah and Jim and Hunter as they're traveling today back to Newburyport. We pray, Lord, for our government. And we pray, Lord, for this election season that you would be guiding and directing the process. We pray for your unity to descend upon us. And Lord, we also lift up to you in the quiet of our own hearts this morning those cares and concerns that we've brought with us but we have not shared with anyone. 
and know what they are. And so we lift up our lives to you. And we pray that you would continue to be at work in us, and we know you will be. And so we give you thanks and praise, and we ask in Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening to this sermon from Old South Presbyterian Church in Newburyport, Massachusetts. If you'd like more information about our historic church, or you'd like to find out more about the gospel of Jesus, please visit our website at oldsouthnbpt.org. The peace of Christ be with you.